Roaming on Campus, episode 10. In this episode, I'm joined with civil engineering student Gavin Curran as we take the harness and explore climbing and mountaineering. We are recording Roaming on Campus, episode 10. Welcome. As always, it's your host, Kenny. And in this episode, we go to New Heights because I'm joined with the president of the UCL Climbing and Mountaineering Club. He studies civil engineering, I believe is Irish and has lived in France, Gavin Curran. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. And I appreciate your swiftness because what, we spoke two days ago? And yeah. already we've managed to schedule this recording. Yeah, real easy. Just are so. you are you always this quick to do things or was this like an exception? Well, it was either today or Friday. So uh, I thought might as well do it as soon as possible. Be as easy for you. Mm. And uh, yeah. I like it. And you mentioned tomorrow you're heading to the Peak District to do some climbing. Yeah. Funnily yeah, enough. Yeah, so uh, tomorrow, myself, my girlfriend, we're going to go to a place called the Roaches, which is not far from Stoke-on-Trent, so the south end of the Peak District. And we're just going to go up there. We're going to camp for a couple of days, get some climbing in. And yeah, it should be a fun trip. It should be a fun trip. Lovely. So it sounds like you, you climb as a hobby, not just at university. How long have you done yeah. it for? Um, I'd say like seriously for the past three, four, three years. Yeah. Like I first climbed must've been like six years ago, but I didn't take it too seriously at first. Mm -hmm. But you know, once you, uh, once you build a group of mates that are into it and once you get some more equipment and more experience, you go out more and more and you take it more and more seriously. And I got really serious when I came to uni. Nice, nice. And I've been doing some research trying to just yeah. break it down, the whole climbing stuff. And yeah. it seems like there's three main types, if I'm correct. There's bouldering, there's yeah. the uh, top roping and yeah. lead climbing. But perhaps yeah. you'd like to expand and explain how yeah. they all differ. So um, I guess the best way to explain it is how we treat freshers who don't know what climbing is when they first join. Because uh, in the club, I'm going to say... 60% of people have never climbed before. Hmm. So what you what we typically do is we bring them to a climbing center in London. We usually go to the Castle Climbing Center, which is in Finsbury Park. And we get them to boulder. So bouldering takes place on short walls, uh, somewhere around four or five, maybe six meters high. And the only thing that protects you when you fall is really thick, squishy pads on the ground. Uh, the height isn't isn't too high. And you need basic equipment. You need rock climbing shoes and chalk. That's it. And then mm -hmm. top roping, it'll be the next step up. That's we introduce a rope, introduce a harness and a blade device. But it's still really safe because the rope is above you. So the anchor will be above you, which means that there's no fall distance, right? You know, the only fall distance we just stretch out the rope. I and then lead climbing is the more serious one where the rope, it, you, what you do is you clip the rope as you go. So you attach the wall to the you, t you attach the rope to the wall using quick draws, right? And as you go up, once you're above a quick draw, 
from that point to the quick draw, you could be in free fall if you slip. Hmm. But that type of climbing is usually the more popular one when it comes to what people do. You know, bouldering is very popular and sport climbing is very popular. Top roping, we just see it as more of like a transition piece between lead and bouldering. Yeah. Not everyone gets not everyone gets into lead climbing, not everyone gets into top rope. A lot of people I know just they just boulder. Because hmm. that is as valid of a of climbing. You know, climbing doesn't have to be super complicated. It doesn't need ropes, it doesn't need a harness, it doesn't need a helmet. And a lot of people boulder very, very competitively and take it very seriously. Okay. So you're saying bouldering is easier to the well, lead climbing. I'd have thought it's harder just because you don't have well, any kind of harness with you. It's not that it's it's not that it's easier or harder, it's that it's very different. Hmm. But it um because it takes place on short walls, right? Uh, it's more of a sprint, whereas lead climbing would be more of a marathon, if you get what I mean. Okay. So a lead climbing wall, that would be, you know, an indoor lead climbing wall could be 15 meters tall. Outdoors, a sport wall could be 30 meters tall, right? 35. Yeah. Whereas bouldering walls are only ever a few meters high. So if you ever, like, watch bouldering competitions, they are the climbers are extremely strong, and they do very powerful moves over a very short distance. Lead climbing is the opposite. It's easier moves. Nothing they're nothing they're easy, they're just a bit easier, but you do more of them and you tend to get much higher. Um but the reason it's more accessible to beginners is the lack of equipment. You can rent shoes, you can rent a chalk bag and then you're you're free to go. But if you want to get into lead climbing you would need more equipment and more knowledge because because of the gain in height and the techniques required, it's far more dangerous. Yeah. So that's why we like, get our beginners to do bouldering. I see. It seems like there's an element of safety or trust, I mean, oh, totally, yeah. with lead climbing because how totally, it works yeah. from what I've seen is there's a person on the ground and they've got to make sure that the rope is taut enough in yeah. case you fall, otherwise you're going to crash and die. Yeah. So exactly, yeah. our accidents are a common thing. Um, they're not as common as you might think, but it depends. Like if you're outdoor climbing, it depends what you could be doing bolted climbing or tried climbing. I'll try not to get too technical. But yeah, sure. If usually accidents don't take place, but if they do take place, they can be serious. They're usually very serious. Mm -hmm. Um, so what, what you would call a ground fall, right? Is where you fall from a height and hit the ground. Usually that doesn't happen. Usually, because the belayer, <laughs> the person on the the person on the ground should know what they're doing and be aware. But if it mm -hmm. does happen, it's usually kind of tragic. Usually. All right. Well. But you know, it, it, that... it very rarely happens. You know, I've never been injured, and I've been yeah. for a while. Um, and then you know there are other injuries like um, your your fingers are quite delicate, right? So often, what might happen is you might injure your wrists or your fingers or pull a tendon like snap your a2 or your a3 fully <laughs> in your fingers all right which is as gruesome as it sounds fairly often no it hasn't happened to me it's very common in boulders and a few of my mates in the club have done it yeah uh and it's supposed to be extremely painful okay but, i mean <laughs> i mean it sounds bad and it is bad but it's very rare right it's not very common sure I've it's got just a when mate. things when things do go wrong they go terribly wrong Right, so things are rare, uh, no, accidents are rare, but when they happen, they're catastrophic, you're saying? It's not 
Yeah, most of the time, yeah. That's, <laughs> how, that, that's how most climbers think of it, right? Like, they're not common, but avoid them at all costs. Mm-hmm. Safe, safety first at all times. Like, safety is always the first thing. Sure. Right? I was going to say that I've got a mate and he's got really sort of like small fat fingers. And mm-hmm. he's mentioned that he does quite a bit of bouldering. And he yeah. says it's quite advantageous to have like really small stocky fingers just to get a better grip. Do you find that's mm-hmm. true? Um, yeah, definitely. What you find is, um, I do know this one girl with particularly small hands, right? And this means she's able to use four fingers where other people might be able to use three, mm. right? And that's, that's a, quite an advantage because sometimes you might find yourself climbing on two fingers or just one. And so having very strong hands is important. So typically when you get more advanced in climbing, start taking more seriously. You do train just your fingers. And you typically you do that by doing something called fingerboarding. Mm-hmm. So this would be a board with a ledge on it. 20 mil, 10 mil, might be 40 mil. And you just hang from it. You just walk up to it, lift your feet, and you hang from it. And you can add weight, you can remove weight. But all you're doing is hanging with your fingertips off a piece of wood or a piece of plastic. And it sounds really weird because it is just someone standing there holding a ledge, but it is extremely difficult and you can feel your forearms burning after a while, but it okay. does make your fingers incredibly strong. Ah, okay. So what do you know? Your fingers can actually get stronger. Oh, they can get really strong. Yeah. Um, and some of the best climbers in the world, you see them on their, on their Instagram pages and they, they take like stress blocks that they can detect how strong you're gripping. Okay. And they go up into a few kilonewtons. So instead of flexing like muscles or legs, just... they flex their fingers instead. Their, fl- their, you know, their fingers, their forearms, and your <laughs> core strength is usually pretty important. Like one of their more important muscles. Yeah. Mm. Nice. And just to backtrack to what you said earlier about how mm-hmm. you know sometimes accidents can happen. Yeah. One thing which is quite clear is that different obstacle courses are graded for the bordering yeah. and also the top road top roping so yeah could you explain just how the grading system works um well i've heard it's quite UK, subjective yeah so in the uk we use what we call v grades for bouldering so it starts at v0 and it goes up all the way to v16 v however high you want to go um most people don't climb you know double digits because that's for the very select few who are extremely good at climbing. Mm. You know, most people might climb, you know, when you're starting out, you've climbed V0 and, you know, you V8 is considered like really, really good. So our team captain and our vice team captain, you know, they're, I don't, I don't want to say this because I could be wrong, but they might climb, you know, V7, V8 on, on a really good day, maybe a bit less. But, um, you know, getting into double digits, there is someone in our, on our club, his name is Aiden Roberts. He, yeah. he is, you know, on Team GB. He's an excellent climber. But all of these, all this grading, you know, it's very subjective, like you said. So, it's a good baseline, and you can talk about how how hard you climb, how well you climb in terms of grades. But, um, really, it comes down to who sets the problem, right? So, if you go mm. to a gym. There'll be all these colored holes in the wall and somebody, somebody employed will have put these up and they'll have given the climb a grade, but you could go to one gym 
you could go to the same gym and find two climbs that are, say, V3. And they could be wildly different in difficulty and in style, depending if it's overhanging, like leaning against you, or slab, so it's leaning away from you. Yeah. Um, so it is incredibly subjective, but it is a good baseline, and it is typically used to judge how good a climber is. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to lead climbing and top roping, you use a different system. It's a French system. Yeah. And that, that uses numbers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard about this Aiden Roberts guy. Apparently, he, uh, he completed some 8C obstacle, which yeah, apparently is so like very, really crazy hard. Oh, yeah. Insanely hard. Like, yeah. It, um, I, I, can't even, like, I can't even fathom how difficult that would be because I'm just not that good of a climber to understand that. And, right. you know, it, you know, in it made it made like you know climbing headlines, right? It's like mm. there's a bunch of climbing magazines and stuff. They they everyone talk in the happening. climbing business knew about it. Pretty much, yeah. Especially like in the UK scene, definitely people would know about it, yeah. Mm -hmm. And you know, um, it is really interesting to talk about uh, these wildly difficult climbs because it does give you something to aspire to. Yeah. Especially when you see someone like Aiden Roberts, who just does incredible stuff, and he's just—you <laughs> know—he's just a university student, right? Like, he's so just imagine where he'd yeah, be going just one of us. A few years time. Oh yeah, I mean, he'll be—he's on Team GB. He'll—he'll be—he'll be one of the, like, the amazing gold medal. Yeah, definitely. nice. That's pretty cool. And you mentioned earlier you described these obstacles as problems, and yep. one thing which I found interesting when Aiden Roberts completed that eight C obstacle course, he kind of actually describe exactly how he'd done it. Like he laid out his individual movements. So is it the case yeah. that with these problems, there is a set solution once someone does complete it and they can describe it, other people can literally do the same thing? Yeah. Or is it more the case that there are many solutions? So what you're, what you're referring to, what we call in climbing is like beta, right? Okay. So what, if, I, if I was telling you how to do a climb, I would call it beta. I'm giving you beta. Right. And for most climbs, you know, there is a set way with some minor differences, right? Uh, you might do one, you might do left hand or right hand. It depends on what you want to do. But as you get into more difficult climbs, typically there's one way of doing it. So mm. for this 8C that Aiden did, presumably there's one way, maybe a few subtle differences here or there. On easier climbs, there might be a few different ways. But typically, when setters do indoor climbs, they try and make such there's one way with very little variation. When yeah. it comes to outdoor climbing, you know, it's, it is a rock, right? You just look at it and say, I think I can do it this way. Aiden has his way of doing it. Someone a little taller or shorter or stronger or weaker, more flexible, depending on their body type and their climbing style, might find a different way of doing it. But yeah. odds are, it'll be, it'll be very similar. But you could, if you want to, copy his beta. You could okay. do exactly what he did, if you're strong enough and good enough, of course. Right, okay. So it's not just as simple as knowing how he did it. You've got to have the capabilities as well. Well, you have to be as strong as him to do it. You have to be as flexible. Imagine a climb where somebody does the splits. You know, not everyone can do the splits. Yeah. So you might have, you'll have to find a way around that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're really tall, you can skip, you know, you can reach past something that somebody else might not be able to reach. Yeah, and this is this is very prevalent in all types of climbing. Whether you're, you know, low level or high level, you know, competitions, you can see it. You can see the pros who are really short and strong or tall and lanky mm -hmm. do very different things, and that's really interesting because 
despite the fact that there's only one person on the wall, it's it kind of feels like a team effort because you work together to figure it out. And you might look at one person and say, you know, you look, you climb similarly to me so we could work on this together. Yeah. Or you might climb with someone who's very different to you. So you try and figure out how they might climb it and you learn from each other. There's definitely when you're bouldering and there's a group of people around a single problem and you're working together. It feels like a team effort. Hmm. Okay. So definitely quite a lot of thinking involved with this. Definitely. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, they train how strong they are and they try, they like to think that it's all about strength, but it really isn't for the most part. A lot of it is like thinking about a new way of approaching it. I mean, I'm not particularly strong <laughs> yet. I can climb decently well. Yeah. Just find and, different ways to and there, and there are And there are people much smaller who don't, well, probably might not be able to lift as much as I can, but are far better climbers than I am just because mm. they know how to climb. Like they yeah. know how to, they know how to solve problems based off their body type and their skill level and how, mm. how they like to climb. That's interesting. I do Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and yeah. what you described is quite similar, whereby you'll yeah. get people of different sizes, strengths, but what you'll actually see is if someone is more experienced, they'll often smash a, a, a bigger person, even yeah. if they are weaker, just because they've found clever ways to leverage exactly, and adapt yeah. given their attributes. Yeah, exactly. And so do competitions play a big part with climbing? Um, Depends who you talk to. I mean, personally, I don't compete. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people that don't compete. And, you know, for, I'd like to think there are like, there's two, there's two ways of looking at it. A lot of people like to think of climbing as, you know, an outdoor activity, a pastime. It's just a way of experiencing the outdoors and challenging yourself. But mm. then, and I think rock climbing is becoming a much bigger um, formal competitive sport, you know, every day, right? It recently got it added to the Olympics, which I think is amazing. Awesome. And I think that more and more people with the with the rise in indoor bouldering centers and indoor climbing centers where you can kind of formalize a format of climbing yeah. to make it easy. Like if you're outdoors, it's very hard to make an outdoor climbing competition, right? Because modern nature is, you can't regulate it. But <laughs> for a competition, you kind of need rules and structure. And, you know, climbing lends itself to having really good competitions. And there are international competitions. So there's the IFSC who regulate and have international competitions with climbers from all over the world competing. And, you know, the Olympics has its format, which should uh, change in Paris for 2024. And when it takes place in Japan in 2021, I think it'll be a really big hit. I think people mm-hmm. will love it. And yeah. Nice. But I thought they do have... delayed the Olympics for next year. Or are they going to just skip it until 2024? Um, yeah. uh, I think they delayed it to 2021 or 2022. The, the, the Japan uh, Olympics. All right, all right. Yeah, because you said 2024. So I was just wondering oh, all the climbing. Yeah. Also, it, it is well, next year. Well, it should, it should, climbing should be in the, in the, in the Tokyo Olympics and it should be in the 2024 Olympics as well, with a slightly different format. Mm-hmm. Um, I see. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess at the more university level, do other unis compete with, with each other? So do you I was just about to say, I was just about to say, yeah. So 
we have a bouldering team. Now, when it comes to lead climbing and top roping, uh, I don't think that's competitive. There's not enough interest to do university competitions, but bouldering wise, okay. there are quite a few competitions. So there's bucks, right? Uh, yeah. There is there is a bucks individual competition. So it's not, you know, it's not like hockey or rugby or football, right? Where they have, uh, you know, they have a match every week, right? There's only one a year, but considering how popular climbing is, that's to be expected, right? Mm-hmm. And it is a really interesting competition. It takes place in Sheffield, and you know, there's a lot of universities that take place. And as a matter of fact, Aiden won it last year. He came first, <laughs> which is sounds unsurprising well. if he's on Team but GB. Kind of unsurprising, yeah. yeah. Um, and at a London level, uh, there is something called Loop, the London University Bowling Event, which is organised by King's College. Okay, interesting name for a competition. I I I think they did that on purpose. I think they, <laughs> right. I think they started with the I, they probably started with the abbreviation and tried to make it make sense after. <laughs> Fair enough. Considering it's Kings, but um, hmm. I like this is a it's not recognised by our union as like a proper competition, but considering it has sponsors, there's hundreds of people that partake. Universities from you know the southern half of the country, not the north half. Uh, yeah. They all come. They all come down to London. Although it's called a London University Bouldering Event, uh, you know, Oxford, it's Cambridge. They all ta- they all take part. They all yeah. take part. And, That's cool. You know, they all have team vests and there's a scoring system and there's prizes and all the centres in London get involved well, as many as they can. There's quite a few. There's a few rounds. It's very well structured, mm. and it's a brilliant competition. It's a lot of fun. Nice, and is the turnout from the UCL members fairly high? Do people have that sense of camaraderie, the spirit to go out and win? So typically the team is 10 people with a few reserves. And I don't like not many people come to watch. It's just a team that goes. So, but, you know, from when, whenever we tell people in the club, oh, we won a round or uh, our team captain uh, topped, the problem, or topped the final problem or something like that. Mm-hmm. They're all pretty proud. They're all really, really proud. And we even had, we even got climbing into the London Varsity this year against Kings. Mm-hmm. So usually it's only the formal sports, right? That do varsity. But we managed to get climbing involved. And we had a round at Yonder, which is a climbing center in, uh, oh, I forget where it is. It's on the Victoria line. It's really easy to get to. And sure. they, accommodate, they accommodated us and we absolutely smashed them. Mm. <laughs> and uh, our union and their union were really impressed with the format and they thought it was a really good addition to varsity and hopefully we'll be able to do it again this year if varsity takes place later in the year like 2021 after the whole COVID situation yeah and I guess with the COVID stuff what is to be expected in the upcoming term regarding the club society um well recently we've been told by our union that um we're allowed to do core activities, right? So rugby are allowed to play rugby, climbing is allowed. We're allowed to climb, right? But for social events, which I think is the most one of the one of the most important parts of any club in society, we're not allowed to really host. We're not allowed really host those. And climbing, although we can do it indoors, you know, it's called rock climbing for a reason, right? We like to get out on real rock. Yeah. And that's going to be really difficult because usually. We either get trains or rent minibuses, and we stay in group accommodation. 
And that's just not COVID secure. So we're going to have to find different ways of doing it. Now, uh, tomorrow we're going camping. There's a few of us going. And this weekend, if we were going to go camping again, we're going to go out to Swanage, right? Mm-hmm. And camping is fine. You know, you can make that COVID secure. You can social distance camping. Yeah. But the problem is that not everyone has camping gear. And right. we don't, we as a club don't have camping gear for everyone. And that makes it far less accessible. And personally, I'm quite worried about how we're going to integrate people who haven't climbed before into the club. Because now climbing gyms are far more annoying to work with. Yeah. Because just like just like everything, you know, they have to work COVID secure and you have to book time slots and everything else. Hmm. And, you know, being part of a group, just like any society, is a really big part of the climbing club. But unfortunately, the whole COVID situation kind of kills groups. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a challenge. Do you do many sort of virtual events as well? Just like a get-togethers so, on Zoom? So we'll we'll be doing that this year a lot more often, yeah. Mm-hmm. So we've had a few events planned, for example, our welcome talk and other instructional videos and social events, movie nights, things like that. We'll do those online. I've noticed they're not as popular as our regular events. Not yeah. as many people show up, but I mean, we'll do Slightly unsurprising. I find it's difficult to actually get talking when usually when you're like yeah, two really people is, can talk yeah. at a time. Yeah, it really is. We've been trying to use Discord, uh, but like people just aren't bothered. And I, I can see why it's not as fun. Yeah. But, um, you know, the, the people that want to get involved, they will. If they want to, they will. Mm. If they want to socialize, they will. Uh, whilst we're just going to, you know, whether a lot of people show up or not, we'll log on, we'll be there. And if people want to socialize, they can. Yeah. At least you're trying. And is yeah, this that's your... What we can do. Yeah, exactly. Is this your first academic year as president or has it been a role the, you've taken before? This will be my second year as president. Okay. Yeah. Right. And what are some of the non-COVID challenges you typically have? <laughs> uh, I'd say, well, that, well, towards the start of the year, it's definitely getting people involved, right? So people that haven't climbed before, there's a lot of handholding involved because you can't. It's not you can't just throw people at climbing because it's just a bit too dangerous to let people do what they want to do. Yeah. So at first, sort of for a few weeks, you know, we run very monitored, very structured taster sessions. We get a group of people and people that have already been in the club. They love helping out and they get involved and they act as you know instructors or teachers for for a few hours. Hmm. Then once once people once we get once we get the ball rolling, people join the club, they get more confident. And then we have to organize trips. And this is always the most complicated part. It's always hmm. the most hard this is always the hardest job. Right. Uh, because getting thirty people to go to the same location for the same price is always a bit of a hassle. But I think it's all really worth it. Yeah. But and... definitely is but definitely the main issue is getting people that haven't climbed before involved because there are quite a few things to know to make it safe. There's a lot of safety procedures involved. I see. So it's entirely students helping students. You don't like hire oh, any yeah. instructors? Not at all. Not hmm. at all. Um, I've done this long enough to know how to tie all my knots and see what's going on. And you know the ropes, do, and I, as they say. <laughs> uh, there you go. I try not to make that pun. Yeah. You know <laughs> And we've loads of people in the club who've been doing this for years, and we're perfectly fine teaching people and, you know, watching them and giving them tips. 
And our team captain, our vice team captain, they're both coaches in London. They're employed coaches. Mm -hmm. So they're extremely useful assets when it comes to getting people better at climbing. And I mean, coaches and guides and instructors, although they're brilliant for, you know, really complicated things like winter mountaineering, right? Where things can get very dangerous very quickly. Yeah. When it comes to, you know, the, the average day climbing, there's no point. There's no need because we can help each other out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And you just touched upon mountaineering, which I wanted to ask about. Mm -hmm. So how does that differ from climbing? Yeah, I would say I would say it's a different activity altogether. We, okay. we accommodate both because a lot of people do both. But, you know, a handful of people, they join the club and they're expecting just rock climbing. Other people are just expecting mountaineering. And I'd say the difference, the best way to look at it is how steep it is, right? So if you're doing, if you're, let's say, let's take Ben Nevis, right? It's tallest mountain in the UK. It's in Scotland, right? Okay. That is, that is a walk. It is a very technical, long walk, especially in the winter where you need ice axes and crampons and ropes. But if you're going rock climbing, it's typically extremely vertical walls, which requires different equipment, different techniques, different mindset. And we, we try to accommodate for both because the people who do it tend to do both. The equipment overlaps as well. Yeah. And, you know, most clubs, most mountaineering clubs do both. Mm -hmm. Now, I'd say we lean towards rock climbing more than mountaineering. Being in London, it's just a bit more accessible. Yeah. Uh, but we, we try our best to do mountaineering. Um, a lot of people do it themselves, or we try and organize it at the club. But it is very difficult to do mountaineering in the UK because you have to wait for winter. And the only place you're really going to do it is Scotland or maybe Wales. And that's a bit of a trek. Okay. What's the reason for waiting until winter? Well, you know, mountaineering in the UK, once, once the snow goes, it's just hiking. Ah, once once okay. the snow is gone, now you can go. You can go scrambling, which is like a hybrid between climbing and hiking, right? So it's kind of like backcountry hiking where things are extremely rocky, quite steep, and you do. It does require ropes, harnesses, and a helmet. Mm -hmm. um, but that's just not very popular in our club, at least. Um, and if people want to go mountaineering, they think of you know when you say mountaineering, right? You think of someone walking up a snowy hill with an ice axe in their hand. Yeah. <laughs> you think you you think of the dangers of like falling into a crevasse or getting buried in that moment, right? Mm. That's typically what people mean by mountaineering. And we have done it in the past. Um and you know a lot of people organize their own trips uh, without the club but they use club equipment or they go with club mates. I might not organize it. It might not be a committee that organizes it. But we help. We give them equipment. We offer them insurance and you know a we have a, a club member who's currently in the Alps at the moment. And my girlfriend and I were going to go to French Alps as well, but that got uh, cancelled due to COVID. Yeah. But uh, in the UK, I'd say mountaineering is not as, it's not as extreme in the summer. And for the most part, I think something like the hiking society might be more interested. Mm -hmm. I understand. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I guess a big question for you, would you ever be bored to mountaineer something such as Mount Everest one day? Uh, if I was, if I was rich enough, maybe. Um, All right. It requires uh, funding too, don't it? Require, it requires funding. It requires uh, 
equipment, the permits. It costs so much money. Yeah. But um, I think I think something like that would be it would be fun to do. I think it would be very interesting to do. Maybe not Everest. Maybe not Everest because um, it's very... I'd, I mean, I would do Everest if I had the money, but also it's a very touristy mountain, right? Okay. Uh, it's it's very it's a very commercial mountain these days. Mm-hmm. Um, you've seen, like recently it's been well, not it's been big news about the the amount of queuing on it and um, you know a few hundred people do it here. It might be better to go somewhere more isolated, but I would definitely love to do one of the eight thousand Himalayan peaks, right? Yeah. Uh, because okay, something more you know, local. Like yeah, probably, probably something a bit more niche. Uh, but uh, Everest would be, you know, it's definitely something that I think everyone thinks about doing. Yeah, but like I said, it's I feel just like so you expensive. get those bragging rights. It's, I see that. Oh, you oh bragging rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't you just like get a ticket to Nepal, go to Everest, and then just do your own thing? Meaning you wouldn't need to get like some uh, a guide. I think they're called Sherpas, right? Could you so just Sherpas, like yeah? Could you yeah. just avoid all of that and just climb it yourself without any equipment? I think you. I am. I think a very select number of people in the world would be good enough to do that. On top of that, you do need a permit issued by the government to ah, climb it. Right. Okay. You have to, and Still typically, permit, yeah. once you're getting like that's the, that's one of the most expensive elements. And, you know, Everest, it's just such a massive logistical challenge that you would need assistance along the way. Now, there are, of course, very fit people who can probably do what you just described <laughs> without, without, without guided assistance, without Sherpa assistance, and just go up and do it, right? And, you know, there are people that have done Everest from base camp to summit in 24 hours. Mm-hmm. But, but, you know, they're not your like, they're average like, joke. Like, they're like one, one or two people have done that. Yeah. You know, it's... The average mountaineer would take a while to do Everest and would require quite a lot of equipment, quite a lot of assistance. Mm-hmm. But even then, you know, that's mountaineering, isn't it? It's a challenge. And some people think it's worth doing. I think it'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like fun as long as you can survive and, you know, don't die. Yeah. <laughs> as long as you don't get altitude sickness or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess going backwards a bit, how can you your students sign up? What's the easiest way to get involved in this club? Um, well, the easiest thing to do is just contact us on Facebook or Instagram and, you know, come to our freshers events and don't worry about it. You know, just, just, just rock up in something, something you can do sport in, try it out. You know, you try out bouldering, right? Which is, you know, it's very different to climbing Everest, but you got to start somewhere, right? And if you're really keen, I think that's, that's the main thing, right? A lot of people try it, but they're just not keen enough. Mm. to go all the ways to like outdoor lead climbing to trad climbing to mountaineering and but some people some people are really keen and they have gotten all the way and we teach them everything they need to know if you have a question we should have the answer for the most part yeah yeah i see that okay so if you're willing and keen enough do join the uco climbing and mountaineering society and I suppose my final question is, are there any sort of popular figures people can watch on YouTube just to get a bit uh, of a feel of things? Um, well, I can't, I can't, uh, I can't just give one name, but the, the name I will give, I'll, I'll give you two names. I'll give you two names. Okay, two names. Uh, 
the first, the most impressive climber you'll see, I'd say, would be Adam Andra. Adam you Andra. Have to talk about Ad- you have to talk about Adam Andra. He's possibly the best rock climber in the world at the moment. Okay. Um, and you know, going by grading, he's he is probably the best at the moment, mm-hmm. if not Alexander Migos. But if you want like a UK figure and a, a female figure, there's Shauna Coxie. And she is an ex- she's an incredibly strong female climber, uh, repping repping Team GB. Uh, I mean, she is an inspiration to everyone who climbs because she is just so freakishly strong and so good at climbing. Mm. And you know she's you know she's from the UK, and she's a perfectly normal person if you see her, you know, but she is an incredibly good climber, and you know she makes headlines all the time. Nice, yeah. Well, give those a search on YouTube. And I'd like to thank you for coming on to Rimming on Campus. No problem. Thanks for having me.